All right, so have you ever been in some desperate circumstances and, you know, you're grateful that you're a Christian and that you have the promises of God for a happy eternity, but what you really want is circumstantial deliverance. Release now or at least soon from these troubles. In fact, that happy eternity that the Bible talks about may not even seem like it makes much difference in the day-to-day. And you're just not sure how much more you can take. Anybody ever felt that way? You don't have to raise your hand. But I imagine I'm not alone. I don't know why, like the circumstantial reasons you may have in the past or even currently right now feel that way. Perhaps it's a difficult marriage. Perhaps it's painful singleness or loneliness. Perhaps chronic pain or significant illness or the suffocating burden of caregiving or crushing depression or the soul-fraying effect of repeated disappointments and dashed hopes. Well, if any of that resonates, our text for this morning is for you. Maybe not in the way that you want, at least initially, but in ways that you and I most certainly need. And it's for all of us, whether we're on the mountaintop, in the valley, or in the depths of despair. So just a little orientation here. We finished an extended series in Proverbs, right? And then we've had two weeks here where we looked at Psalm 63, and then last week Eugene uh, focused our attention on Psalm 100. And then next week begins Advent, and we are going to focus on John 1, 1 to 18, for the four weeks of December, okay? So that's what our Advent focus is going to be all about. And this text is actually a good setup for the next four, but it's also a fitting follow up to our Proverbs series. It was read this morning, verse 43. Did you see how this thing ends? Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This psalm is also um, just a fitting follow up to our. Weeks in Psalm 63 and 100. So this psalm is filled with both the desperation of Psalm 63 and the thanksgiving of Psalm 100. So hopefully it pulls lots of different threads together. All right, so here we go. First point, give thanks to Yahweh. Whenever it reads L-O-R-D, four capital letters, um, covenant name of God, Yahweh. I'm going to probably read Yahweh. Sometimes I might say the Lord. But Lord is a title, so Yahweh is a better way to translate that because God wanted us to know his name, not just a title, right? So he wants to be on a first-name basis with us, which is wonderful. So give thanks to the Lord, verses 1 to 3. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Literally, the hand of adversity. Hand is like 
indicative of your power. So the, the power of adversity to hurt you. So he's redeemed us from trouble, gathered in from the lands, from the east, the west, the north, and it actually literally reads the sea. We'll get to that in a second. So this is the introduction of the whole psalm, these first three verses, and it summarizes the meaning and the purpose of the psalm in like a nutshell. It calls on all of its hearers, readers, to give thanks to the Lord because he's good and because his steadfast love endures forever, okay? His chesed, his loyal, even stubborn covenantal love and faithfulness. And then in parallel to this call to give thanks, we find the call to the redeemed of Yahweh to speak up, to say so. If you've been redeemed, say so. If you've been set free from Yahweh, by Yahweh, not from Yahweh, by Yahweh from trouble, then speak up and say so. And you do so by actually joining in the song that is this psalm, okay? And this call that goes out at the beginning of Psalm 107 is a universal call. So Yahweh has redeemed people from trouble and gathered them in from everywhere, from the lands, from the east, the west, the north, and like I said, literally from the sea. So some, some um, translators actually changed the vowel pointing to make it read south because that's what they expect. But listen to this comment by Alec Motier. We would expect, and from the south, and many make the easy and obvious adjustment to the Hebrew text, it's vowel pointing, to, to make it conform to expectation. The text means, and from overseas, giving huge emphasis to the thought of universal gathering, people from everywhere. So if we imagine these Jewish pilgrims, these Israelite pilgrims, worshipers, streaming into Jerusalem for a feast, thanking and praising God for his redemptive love and grace in their lives, that picture of all these people streaming up to worship Yahweh is a foreshadowing of the day when people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation will stream into the new Jerusalem. Actually, read about this in Isaiah 2 as well. It's prophesied in Isaiah 2. On that day, we will all join in to sing the praises of the Lamb who was slain, who purchased, who redeemed us, purchased us for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So where are these people coming from? Well, they're coming from every point on the globe, right? But they're also coming from trouble and distress of all kinds. They're coming because they've been redeemed by Yahweh from all kinds of trouble. So these opening verses provide the meaning of the psalm in a nutshell, like what the main point is. We could summarize it like this. We, the redeemed, redeemed of Yahweh, should give him thanks. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh. For his steadfast love that has delivered us from all kinds of trouble. We, the redeemed of Yahweh, should give him thanks for his steadfast love that has delivered us from all kinds of trouble. So if we were to interview the redeemed of Yahweh as they gathered in, we would hear all kinds of stories. In fact, if we just interviewed the saints in this room, we would hear all kinds of stories of how God set you free and brought you in, right? Wonderful stories of 
God's redemptive love and grace from all kinds of trouble. Well, what happens then in verses 4 to 32, I don't know if you noticed it as I was reading, there's four paradigms in a sense, four groups of people, you could say, in four different kinds of trouble, and we're going to look at each of those briefly in turn, right? So we need to join the cry of the redeemed. And this is how the psalmist leads us to do so. Verses 4 to 32, all right? So, like I said, there's this four-group structure here, and there's a pattern to each of these four sections. There's a description of some trouble. Then those who are suffering cry out to Yahweh in their trouble. Then he delivers them, providing just what they need in the midst of their flight. And then there's a summons to thank God for his steadfast love, his chesed, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And even there, children of men is sons of Adam, literally. It's meant to strike that universal note. Who does that refer to? Everybody, not just the people of Israel, but the sons of men, like the sons of Adam, everybody on planet earth, okay? Because we, the redeemed of the Lord, should give, give him thanks for his steadfast love that he's delivered us from all kinds of trouble. Desperation, we'll see it over and over again, and deliverance. Human predicaments and divine intervention. Those are the paradigms of plight that are intentionally described here in four different movements. And actually, they're all kind of general so it's actually hard to pin it down to some historical background. Well, this means, this must refer to, you know, 1 Samuel, thus and such. No, no, actually, each of these groups are described in general terms. And I think the point is so that we can actually identify with one or maybe more of those groups and give thanks. Join the song of the redeemed. Join the cry of the redeemed. All right? So first, the desert. And then, after the desert, it's prison. And then, after prison, it's um, disease. And then it's the sea. All right? So first, in the desert, verses 4 to 9. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. You can hear how it's kind of general, right? Sounds a little bit like the Exodus, but broader than the Exodus, right? Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing or the thirsty, parched soul and the hungry soul he, he fills with good things. So here's redemption in the desert, first of these four groups. Redemption for desperate desert wanderers. So if this is solely referring to Exodus wanderers, then we know that they, well, we know it's not referring solely to that, but we know that they wandered for 40 years because of their sin, right? But it's written in this more general way, and, and even comparing this one to the next two, um, the next two mention sin explicitly as the reason for the trouble. Here it's not mentioned. Okay, so the focus here seems to be more on 
creaturely limitation and vulnerabilities, right? So when you're in, a, in the desert as a human being, that's, that's a problem. You're going to get hungry. You're going to get thirsty. You're going to need help quick. So the way these four pictures work out, the first one focuses on human vulnerability in the desert. Then it's slavery because of sin in prison. Then it's sickness as a result of sin at death's door. And then it's vulnerability again on the sea. But again, no mention of sin. So is everybody with me here? Desert, human limitation, vulnerability just because you're human. Desert and sea. And then in the middle, it's all about trouble because of sin. All right? So let's look at the second group in prison, verses 10 to 16. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction, which is kind of the subjective aspect, the experience of bondage and shame. Prisoners in irons, that's the objective bondage. Like you can feel those chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Are you hearing these patterns? He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. So here is redemption for guilty prisoners. And Adam kind of briefly mentioned it, but if you don't know his testimony, you need to ask him how God saved him. He was a drug dealer and money launderer who was raking in millions with his buddies. And then he got caught and went to prison because of his sin. But then he got saved in prison. And now he's going into Paul. So look at verses 12 to 14. Why did God burden them with hard labor? Look at verse 11. So that he could break their rebellious spirit. Well, why would he want to bow them down and break their rebellious spirit? So that they would cry out to him in their trouble. Why would they do that? So that he might burst their bonds and set them free. He burdened them in order to break them, in order to free them. This is the heart of God, our Redeemer. So let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. So anybody else been set free from bondage? You may not have been in a literal prison, but if you've been set free from bondage, this is your song. Because we, the redeemed of the Lord, should give him thanks for his steadfast love that has delivered us, has set us free from all kinds of trouble. Third group, disease, verses 17 to 22. And again, this is a result of sinful folly. We see it there in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Um, we could probably imagine that drug addiction, alcoholics, could be some modern-day equivalents of people that just end up like ruining their lives because of their choices, right? And because of their iniquities, suffer affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. This was like sickness to the point where they're about to die. 
Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell his deeds in songs of joy. So this is redemption for sin-sick souls. So how many of you can join in singing that song? I can think of several among us, and certainly over my years I've met many more. I'm sure you have too. People who would have drunk themselves to death or drugged themselves to death had God not intervened and rescued them or maybe other sorts of addictions as well. There are many more children of Adam. Listen, so, so this is true in here, but how did you get in here? How is it that you are redeemed of Yahweh? Listen, there are many more children of Adam that God intends to redeem, and he just might use you to introduce them to the Redeemer, to whom they can cry for deliverance. Because, again, we, the redeemed, should give him thanks for his steadfast love because he's delivered us from all kinds of trouble. And, and listen, God can use any kind, like any kind of sinner, to save any kind of sinner. But oftentimes he uses someone who's been delivered from a certain kind of sinful slavery to bring the good news of, the, of gospel freedom to those who are entangled in the same kind of sinful slavery. So if we remain silent, we actually steal the glory that God deserves. Like, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. If we remain silent, we steal the glory God deserves, and we starve other sin-sick souls of the redeeming grace that they so desperately need. So may we, the redeemed of Yahweh, say so, telling as many as possible about his redeeming love. Fourth and final group on the sea in verses 23 to 32. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamitous plight. Um, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble. So again, this isn't a result of their sin. It's a result of their human limitations and vulnerabilities because they're on the sea and they can't control it. And they're in trouble if God doesn't rescue them. They cried to Yahweh in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So this is redemption from stormy seas, or we could say redemption for desperate sea travelers. So again, no notice of sin in this one, that evil word, um, can mean evil, but it can also just mean calamity. So they were in deep trouble. So the limitations and vulnerabilities of the children of men are in focus again. And Yahweh's the one who causes the storm. Did you notice that? 
verse 25. And he's also the one who stills it, verse 29. And when he calmed the storm down, then the praises welled up. So recently in an email um, to a bunch of local pastors, a friend of mine, Raymond Johnson, actually the one under whom Eugene did an internship before going out to Chicago for the preaching course. Um, He shared that he's been working his way through the Book of Common Prayer, 1662, just kind of devotionally reading these prayers. And in particular, he was helped when he came to the section entitled, Forms of Prayer to be Used at Sea. He initially scoffed at this section and planned to skip it. But, you know, Raymond does have a Ph.D., And academics, sometimes they figure, well, it might be interesting for historical purposes. So he read this section, and he was glad that he did because he came across this prayer, and I've kind of updated the language so it's a little easier to understand. O most mighty and gracious God, your mercy is over all your works, but in special manner has been extended to us, whom you have so powerfully and wonderfully defended. You have showed us terrible things. Imagine taking a voyage on a ship in 1662 and how quickly you could feel pretty vulnerable. You have showed us terrible things and wonders in the deep that we might see how powerful and gracious a God you are, how able and ready to help them that trust in you. You have showed us how both winds and seas obey your command, that we may learn even from then from them hereafter to obey your voice and to do your will. We therefore bless and glorify your name for this your mercy in saving us when we were ready to perish. And we ask you to make us as truly sensible now of your mercy as we were then of the danger. And give us hearts always ready to express our thankfulness, not only by words, but also by our lives in being more obedient to your holy commandments. Continue, we ask, this your goodness to us, that we, whom you have saved, may serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, amen. And then he commented like this. He said, I never travel with a sense of my mortality When I leave, I expect to return, whether it's by car or plane or boat, walking or Uber or public transit. So I was struck by how aware these 17th century brothers and sisters were of their mortality. The safety of a voyage was not guaranteed, and they knew it. They knew the craft was not unsinkable, that they could be swallowed by the waves of the raging sea and drown in a watery grave. They knew they were dependent upon God for safe travels, and they were consciously aware of their dependence on God. So have you ever been in a, like, near-death car accident? You would get a sense. Like, most of the time, you just don't even give it a thought. But imagine how aware you are immediately after a brush with death, how dependent you are on God. And what if the Lord answered that prayer? What if you took that sense right there and said, okay, we bless and glorify your name for this your mercy in saving us when we were ready to perish. And we ask you to make us as truly sensible now of your mercy as we were then. 
of the danger. And give us hearts always ready to express our thankfulness, not only by words, but also by our lives and being more obedient to your holy commandments. You see? So again, this was a common thing back then to experience vulnerability and danger on the seas. And if you were delivered, you would have reason to give thanks and say so to the Lord. And we might not spend time on boats very much. Maybe you will, just for pleasure. But anyway, we travel. And again, the Lord has delivered and will deliver, and we should give thanks and say so. So, all right, all of that, what's the point of these four paradigms of plight? This is just like a history lesson, like, oh, well, that's interesting, you know? No, the point of all of this is that you and I would hear them playing our song. If you hear the song of the redeemed, you rejoice and say, hey, that's my song too. And then you join in. One commentator, James Mays, puts it like this. He says, in all these ways, the psalm teaches the congregation and its members to understand themselves as the redeemed. Who are you? Who am I? What's our identity? Most of all, and first of all, they are the sinners and the helpless who cry to God, whose cry to God has been answered by his chesed, his steadfast love. Most of all, and first of all, they are to thank the Lord with praise for his chesed. We are the hungry and thirsty who have been fed. We are the bound who have been liberated. We are the sinners deserving death who have been given life. We are the fearful before the terrors of existence who've been given hope. If this is who you are, then this is your song. We, the redeemed of Yahweh, should give him thanks for his steadfast love that has delivered us from all kinds of troubles. And how much more so, brothers and sisters, on this side of the cross? We who have a redemption that is so much greater than anything articulated here. I mean, these are real redemptive deliverances. And I don't mean to downplay them at all. Yahweh is the redeemer all through the Old Testament, but all the redemptions in the Old Testament are shadows and foretastes of the redemption that is ours in Christ. Perhaps you didn't notice it, but all the redemptions in Psalm 107, the four groups, they're all circumstantial. They may be more than that for some of the people that are singing but not necessarily. Here's what I mean. When the Israelites cried out to Yahweh and were redeemed from slavery in Egypt, were their hearts changed? Go ahead. Answer. No. Their grumbling and idolatry in the wilderness proved that. That's why they couldn't enter the promised land. Or I could ask it like this. Was Judas redeemed when Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee that day? Yes and no, right? Yes, in the sense that he could have taken verses 23 to 32 on his lips, right? Afterwards, some went down to the sea and ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, you know, raised the stormy wind, mounted up to heaven. We're all freaking out, you know, Lord, wake up. They cried to Yahweh in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, you know, seas were hushed. Then they were glad and the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Judas could say all that. 
but his heart wasn't ultimately changed. The Lord can deliver from circumstantial trouble, and we should cry out to him. It's okay to cry out that the Lord would change our circumstances. And when he does deliver, we should thank him. Verse 1. But one of the key lessons from the Exodus and the Bible as a whole, I mean, it's actually kind of the point in Hebrews 3 and 4 that talks about the Exodus and warns the people. You can be delivered circumstantially, but not spiritually. And that is dangerous. It's also dangerous to want the circumstantial deliverance more than you treasure the spiritual deliverance. Because listen, in this fallen world, God oftentimes delivers his people spiritually, but not circumstantially. Are you tracking with me? So Eugene, last Sunday, excellent message from Psalm 100. He mentioned Johnny Erickson Tata. How badly do you think she wanted and how much do you think she prayed for circumstantial deliverance when she was 17, 18, 19, 20? You think she wanted to walk again? Could God have worked that miracle? Why didn't he do it for her? Well, certainly there's a number of ways to speak to that question, but to use the language of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, think about it this way. The thorn of quadriplegia in Johnny's flesh has harassed her for 56 years. To humble her, to help her. So like 2 Corinthians 12, Satan has intended to weaken and destroy her faith by these circumstantial troubles, but God has intended to Keep her humble and dependent. Show her that his grace is sufficient for her, for his power is made perfect in her weakness. So this affliction has harassed her, but it's ultimately humbled her and helped her to become the radiantly strong woman of buoyant, unstoppable joy and thanksgiving that she is today. And I think she would be the first one to add her amen to Psalm 107 that we, the redeemed of Yahweh, should give thanks to him for his steadfast love, that he has delivered us from all kinds of trouble, especially the ultimate trouble of our slavery to sin and the condemnation that our sin deserves. So if Psalm 107 is the song of the redeemed, the gospel of Jesus turns the volume all the way up. I won't, I'll, I'll just refrain from that spinal tap. Cultural reference. Okay, those of you that know, no. All right. So take each of those four groups again and just watch how Psalm 107, those categories, they're pencil sketches. And then Jesus comes and it goes color in 3D in the desert. So it, you know, it could refer in part to the Exodus Think about the redemption of Jesus turning the pencil sketch of the first exodus into full color in 3D. We were slaves under the 
strong man, Satan's thumb, not just Pharaoh. And Jesus died to bind the strong man and plunder his house. By his blood, remember the blood of the lamb that was over the doorpost to redeem the people, firstborn son, redeem that son so that the angel of death would pass over. So the blood of the lamb redeems us from the angel of death so that we are passed over and we are now alive forevermore with Christ. He's led us out through the waters of baptism into the wilderness. We are elect exiles en route to the promised land. We sung it. We're bound for the promised land. And we're going to make it because he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We are Christian pilgrims on our way to the new Jerusalem. And even now, as we run the race that's set before us through the wilderness, we have a pioneer who's blazed the path, and we can fix our eyes on him and run the race that's set before us. And even now, in Hebrews 12, a little bit further on, it says we've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. We're already members of the city of God. We already have an eternal home, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, the party's already started. And to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, again, yeah, they were redeemed out of the desert wanderings, but the gospel turns it up. Prison, second group. So we haven't merely been set free from earthly prisons or bondage. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might proclaim the excellencies of our glorious Redeemer, that the redeemed of the Lord would say so. Three, disease. We're not merely fools making ourselves sick, knocking on physical death's door. We were fools who'd rejected God and stood a heartbeat away from the gate of ultimate death and judgment. And we're not merely healed here. We can be. little foreshadowing and foretaste of the future. But by the stripes of the sacrificial lamb, we are healed. Healed of our deepest, gaping soul wound now, we can, have re- we can have peace with God and rest and know who we are and whose we are. And for all eternity, we will be perfectly, fully healed when God wipes away every tear and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. The gospel turns the volume up, the song of the redeemed. And as for the sea, Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, spoke and stilled the storm, right? But it wasn't an end in itself. Yes, the disciples were relieved to arrive at their destination, but Jesus had so much more planned for them. He did it in all of his miracles in order to paint this big signpost that would point to him as our ultimate redeemer. He's not just doing magic tricks to impress people. He came to die to set us free from our ultimate bondage, and all of those miracles were like foretaste of the day when everything's going to be made new. And there's not going to be any more curse. 
because he's dealt with our biggest eternal problem. So the volume on the song of the redeemed has been turned up all the way. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to redeem many from their sins, to really, like really set us free now and forever. So we may not always be delivered circumstantially. In fact, sometimes when you become a Christian, you get delivered into trouble. That's what our brothers and sisters in Nepal will face. But we can be, we have been, we are being, we will be completely delivered in Christ. And that's everything to us. When that is everything to us, the song of the redeemed, just the volume goes up, and it's like the mute button on the clamor in our souls from our trouble. Or at least... It turns the volume down. It doesn't have to be so, like, all-consuming. Because, of course, in this world, we will have trouble. So how do you persevere in a disappointing or difficult marriage or aching loneliness? How do you persevere with chronic pain or prolonged illness or seemingly endless caregiving or whatever it is that brings you to the point of desperation? Can God heal broken marriages? Yes. Can he heal broken bodies? Yes. But he doesn't always do so. Our redemption from sin, the glory and promise and greatness of it all is actually how we endure affliction in this life with grace and gratitude. The circumstantial troubles are not forever. And we do not go through them alone. We do not go through them forsaken. Our Redeemer lives and we love to give him thanks for dealing with the problem that makes all the other problems shrink down to size in comparison. So we need to tune our ears to the song of the redeemed. Again, it gets turned all the way up. How about Revelation 5, 9? They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, the lion lamb, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's our song, brothers and sisters. God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. We, the redeemed, should say so. How about and can it be? Like, you realize we can go to songs to, like, put a song in our heart or to give expression to our gratitude because not all of us are particularly, you know, artistically (coughs) gifted. And can it be, like, isn't this helpful to read this or sing this together? The songs we sung this morning were so helpful. And can it be that I should gain? Like, I'm this foolish rebel. I should have died in high school. I did so many stupid things. And I'm not joking. The Lord preserved my life. I'm sure many of you have similar testimonies. And can it be that I should gain? An interest in the Savior's blood died he for me and who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love. How can it be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Here's this, verses 10 to 16. 
Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That's our song. The song of the redeemed. We, the redeemed of Yahweh, should give him thanks for his steadfast love that has delivered us from all kinds of trouble, especially ultimate trouble of our slavery to sin and the condemnation our sin deserves. So, okay, I need to hustle. So this is our God, this is our Redeemer. Point number three, verses 33 to 42. Could seem like there's a lot here, but the whole point is nobody's beyond the reach of this Redeemer. This is the God who can turn rivers into a desert. See, we can actually be jealous of the circumstances of other people. But listen, if somebody else doesn't have Yahweh as their redeemer, it doesn't matter how good, you could gain the whole world. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. But the good news is, don't ever think that your circumstances are beyond his reach. Doesn't matter where you are, what you're, where you're stuck, what you've done, what kind of trouble you're in, he turns a desert into pools of water. You see the reversals? A parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and there and they establish a city to dwell in. So you can see how 33 to 42 is like this, this like big conclusion, like extension of the points of those four groups. He did it this way, he did it this way, he did it this way, he did it this way. But listen, this is the God you're dealing with. He can change anything. So trust him. Cry out to him in your need and give thanks to him. There's no one beyond Yahweh's reach to save or to judge. We're not masters of our own fate. So cry out to him. He alone can deliver you from sin and death. Your life could feel like a desert right now, but he can turn a desert into a pool of water. His chesed is an unstoppable, redemptive, miracle-grow, life-giving force. <clears throat> it's like rain that can turn an arid desert into a garden of fruitful life. Fourth point, conclusion, and it's brief. Who is wise? Isn't this interesting that this is how this thing ends? Verse 43, okay now. Whoever is wise... Pay attention. Let him attend to these things. Consider, like look carefully. Ponder these things. The steadfast love of Yahweh. In fact, it went from singular steadfast love in verse one. Now it's plural. The steadfast loves. Because they're just so manifold and bountiful. Consider all of the expressions of his steadfast love. So this is a call to fix our attention in the right place, especially in the midst of our circumstantial, circumstantial stuckness and struggles that seem so huge and overwhelming. How do you think Johnny Erickson Tata became the radiant woman she is today? Not by magic. It's not by natural disposition even, but by wisely attending to her Redeemer who lives 
who's full of steadfast love for her in the midst of and through her trouble. So if you and I are going to be wise, if we want to be wise, let's attend to these things. This psalm is to be pondered that we might learn and not miss the lessons, but not merely as lessons for our heads, but as training for our hearts and fuel for our thanks and our praise. So let the redeemed of Yahweh say so. Amen? Amen. So we're going to close by singing Depths of Woe because in a sense what happens is that song is like walking us through the path from despair and trouble to joy and thanksgiving. It turns up the volume of the song of the redeemed and it turns down the volume of the clamor of our troubles in our souls. So Lord, give us wisdom And I pray that you would make your redeeming grace so sweet to us that we can't help but say so. In Jesus' name, amen.